summary of the Sikha, and this is also a Siyum Amasechta Yuma. At the very end of Amasechta Yuma, the Gemara says, Rabbi Shmol taught that if somebody sees a carry, which means an involuntary seminal mission, which we're going to call carry from now on, on Yom Kippur, he should worry the whole year, and if he got through the year, then he is assured that he's a Ben Elam that he is destined to come to the world to come, to have Gan Eden. Um, or, or uh, the time of Mashiach so to this Reb Nachum Bayitzchak said the, you should know that this is true because the whole world is, uh, is hungry on this day is deprived on this day because it's prohibited to have marital relations on Yom Kippur and he was given satisfaction so in other words from heaven they wanted to reward him when Reb Dimi said he said also that he will, be, he will flourish in life and double uh, sagi or mazgi will flourish again and yet again and uh, more than just simply the, that he is assured of the world to come which seems like a strange thing to conclude the Masechta Yuma which is about Yom Kippur it's about Shuva especially the last Perik is about Shuva it's called Yom Kippurim atonement and that's how you conclude it about such a negative event and we also have to understand about the general idea how is it that as a result of such a negative thing as a carry on Yom Kippur, the, el- the end result is that he's assured that he's, uh, he's going to have Gan Eden and he's assured that he will be flourish and that he will have children and grandchildren. What's, why is that? What's, what's going on? A similar question can be asked about the general idea of Tshuva Mi'ava that the Gemara says that his sins are transformed into credits. So we have to understand, how does that happen? The, the Masha asks, that means that the sinner is rewarded for his sins. Not only, not only is he not punished, but he's rewarded too. He, he becomes mitzvahs. So the Masha says that it's not the sins that are transformed into uh, mitzvahs, but rather because he, is, uh, he does such intense tshuva, therefore he does many, many more uh, averis, uh, sorry, many, many more mitzvahs and therefore ends up having many, many mitzvahs. Not that the sins are turned into mitzvahs. But from the Gemara, it seems that it's the sins themselves that are transformed into mitzvahs. So we have to understand, what is the meaning of that? So this can be understood based on what is at the end, of the last Mishnah of Masech Yuma. It says, Rabbi Kiva said, Fortunate are you, O Israel, the Jewish people, before whom do you cleanse yourself, and who cleanses you? Our Father in Heaven. As the Pasuk says, I will sprinkle upon you the cleansing waters and you will become cleansed. Then there is another Pasuk that says, the mikveh of the Jewish people is Hashem. Just like a mikveh cleanses the, uh, the, the impure, so also Hashem cleanses the Jewish people. So the Ragat Shabbat says about this, that Rabbi Kiva is bringing two psukim which, which describe two different types of cleansing. There is cleansing which comes about through sprinkling, like the sprinkling of the waters of the red heifer, from the ashes of the red heifer. Over there you need intent. You have to intend to sprinkle it on that person for the purpose of cleansing him. But if, let's say, by mistake, somebody swung his hand and ended up sprinkling somebody with the waters, it wouldn't bring uh, purity. Whereas, on the other hand, a mikveh, doesn't need intent. If you fall into a mikveh without intention, you become cleansed anyway. As we see actually from the psukim, that one pasuk says, I will sprinkle upon you, which means there's a proactive 
involvement of Hashem that He sprinkles, which means with intent. And the other pasuk is mikveh Yisrael Hashem. Hashem is the mikveh of the Jewish people. In other words, it's passive; it doesn't need intent. And this idea of intent is also found in the type of tshuva that a person can do. If a person does tshuva miyira out of fear, because he doesn't want to be punished, or because he's already being punished, he's going through a difficult time and therefore does tshuva, so that doesn't have the central idea of intent. What is the intent of tshuva? The proper intent of tshuva is a person, a Jew, wants to get close to Hashem, wants to renew his connection to Hashem. But when it comes as a result of fear or pain, then it doesn't necessarily have that intent. When a person does tshuva me'ava out of love to Hashem, that means that he has the proper intent. He does it because he has an, a desire to become close to Hashem. And the result of these two different types of tshuva is also different. When a person does tshuva miyira, it's the pasuk says Hashem, I, Hashem says, I will heal their turning away from me. In other words, when you heal something, it's not retroactive. It's healed from now on. And sometimes a scar remains. Things remain from the original problem. But when you do tshuva mi'ava out of love, then it erases the sin retroactively. And this actually has a, an expression in halacha. It makes a difference in halacha too. If somebody were to say to a woman, I hereby marry you on the condition that you have no sins... So if she had sins, but she did tshuva miyira out of fear, so then we would say she's not married because she already had those sins when he married her, and the tshuva does not retroactively wipe them out. But if she did tshuva miyira, so then even though she had the sins when he married her, but since they became wiped out retroactively, then it's as if she didn't have them and the marriage would be valid. This is based on what the Gemara says. The Gemara says that if somebody marries a woman and he says, on the condition that you have no physical blemishes, or he says to her, on the condition that you, have, you didn't make any vows which would interfere with your functioning in the world. And it turns out that she did have a blemish and she did have a vow. But in order to deal with the blemish, she went to the doctor and he healed her. In order to deal with the vow, she went to the rabbi and he annulled her vow. So if it's dealing with a doctor, so then we say she's not married, because a doctor can only heal you from now and on. So back then, when he married her, she still had the blemish. Well, if he go, she goes to a rabbi and he annuls the vow, that it happens retroactively. It's as if it never existed, and therefore she would be married. In a similar way, we can say the difference between Shuva Meyira and Shuva Meyava in regards to a sin. Now this difference that the Gemara explains about Tshuva Me'ava and Tshuva Me'ira, we could also apply, there are two levels in Tshuva Me'ava as well. Tshuva out of love can also be divided into the same two separate categories. There is Tshuva Me'ava which results in your sins being wiped out retroactively. But that's not the ultimate level of Tshuva Me'ava. There is a higher level than that which is that's that your sins are transformed into positives. So that's much greater, much more than it's simply wiped out as if it didn't exist. The difference would be if somebody reaches Tshuva Me'ava on the very highest level, the intent is truly in order to re reconnect with Hashem. So then you can reach even that level of Zdainis Nasalik But if you only, the Tshuva Me'ava doesn't quite reach that level, 
then it has only the effect of wiping out your sin, but not of transforming it into a sochius, into a positive. The Rebbe brings an interesting proof that, uh, that these two levels of, of tshuva me'ava must exist. We see this in, in, from the Gemara. The Gemara says that if somebody marries a woman on the condition that he is a tzaddik, so the Gemara says even though he's a complete Russia, totally evil person, he's, she's still married to him because he could have done tshuva in one moment. It takes him one moment to do tshuva. And then he be, would be a tzaddik. So the question is asked, either way, if he did tshuva meyira, so then it doesn't wipe out the sin retroactively. So then when he married her, he was still a Russia, or there's still some scar left from the sins, as Rashi said, uh, what we said earlier. On the other hand, if he did tshuva mi'ava, so then he becomes, uh, that, that he becomes higher than a tzaddik, even a place where a tzaddik, where a tshuva stands, even a tzaddik cannot reach there. So then he's even higher than a tzaddik, and he shouldn't be married for that reason. And you shouldn't say that, well, he's better than he presented himself to them, for sure they should be married, because the halacha is that if somebody marries a woman on the condition, let's say that he is a poor person, and he turns out to be a wealthy person, they're not married, because she could say, I don't want to be married to a wealthy guy, it puts too much pressure on me, I have to look my best all the time, I have to cater to his, you know, to his fancy people, I want to be married to a poor person, so... Therefore, even if he says that he was a tzaddik and he turns out to be a baltshuva, that might be too much pressure for her and therefore they shouldn't be married. And the answer that must be given is that the, the, he did tshuva me'ava, so therefore wiped out his sins retroactively, but not enough tshuva to make him into that category of a baltshuva that even a tzaddik cannot reach there. Because it's a middle level of tshuva me'ava, so we see that there is a difference in, even in Shuvah Me'ava between two, different, between two different levels in fact the whole thing has to have taken place in one moment the moment that he said you know, till then he was a Russian now he suddenly became a Tzaddik in one moment you can't say that he reaches that absolutely unbelievable level of Shuvah Me'ava with the proper Kavana that should transform him into a Baal where even a Tzaddik cannot reach there and therefore it's talking about the middle level of tshuva meyav. What is so unique about a tshuva, that kind of a tshuva, that even a tzaddik cannot uh, reach that place? So the Alter explains in Tanya that there are, uh, like the, let's say there's non-kosher food, things which you're, why are they called asur, that they're prohibited? Asur means tied. That means they're tied into their source and klipa in a way that we cannot shake them loose. We cannot release them from there by eating them neutral things, klipas noiga, we can release them by eating them properly and with l'shem shamayim, with a bracha and so on. But this is so tied into klipa that we can't re- uh, shake it loose. But if a person eats, commits a sin and he eats something that is non-kosher and then he does this kind of trouble which is so transformative, he has such intense desire to connect himself to Hashem so therefore, the, the Aveira itself, which was what propelled him to do this kind of tshuva, becomes the impetus for him doing that, that tshuva, and therefore, it itself becomes transformed into a mitzvah. So therefore, it's not just that a tshuva has more, more mitzvahs than a tzaddik, because all of his Aveiras also add up to become mitzvahs. 
it's that it's a different kind of a quality of a mitzvah. It's the kind of reaching into a place where a tzaddik can't even reach there because he's not allowed to do an Avera. And this person did an Avera, so now was able to reach down into a lower level in the world and bring up holiness from there, which a tzaddik was not, is never able to do that. So the fact that the, uh, the, uh, the sin itself was what propelled, was what caused the, the Baal Tshuva to do that kind of Tshuva, that's why it also takes on the, um, the status of a mitzvah. As we find in regards to things which are there in order to allow you to do a mitzvah. We find a, a, a number of different statuses of what's called a machshirei mitzvah the things which uh, allow you to do a mitzvah. As a few examples that Rebbe brings. We find, for instance, that Rebbe Lezer says that if somebody has to do a bris on Shabbos, which you're allowed to do, if it's the eighth day, you're allowed to do a bris on Shabbos, but there's no knife available. And so they have to make a knife. So you have to cut wood in order to be able to burn a fire, in order to be able to melt the steel, in order to be able to fashion a knife. So Rabbi Levi says you can do all those things on Shabbos. You, you can violate Shabbos for all of those steps in order to be able to get to the mitzvah of Mila. So we see that the preparation for the mitzvah is also takes on an importance of that mitzvah to the degree that you're allowed to violate Shabbos on, uh, in order to do it. Even more so we find in the Yerushalmi that if somebody is building a sukkah for himself, he should make a bracha, says the Yerushalmi, that Hashem commanded us to build a sukkah even though the mitzvah of the Torah is that you should sit in the sukkah, not build a sukkah, but the preparation for it is also considered a mitzvah for which you can even make a bracha. In a similar way here also, since these averas are the only way that a person is able to reach that elevated status of tshuva, because it's the feeling of distance from Hashem which causes you to reach out with such intensity, with such love, and with such kavana, that's why the mitzvah is like a machshira mitzvah, it's what allowed you to do that mitzvah of children. And we find examples, says the Rebbe, of that the preparation of something takes on the, the status of a mitzvah itself in a number of places. For instance, when a father teaches a son Torah, even though a child is not chayav mitzvahs altogether, yet we find that it's in order to prepare him, to train him for when he becomes an adult, but that training itself becomes a mitzvah minat We find also that the, the Sifri says that the true performance of mitzvahs only takes place in Eretz Yisrael. But in Golos, Hashem says, train yourself to do the mitzvah so that when you come back from Golos, it won't be foreign to you. So we see that, and still the mitzvahs in Golos are full-fledged mitzvahs, even though they don't reach their ultimate uh, level of mitzvah, but they're still considered mitzvah. So also the uh, Averis which lead you, which drive and compel a person to do tshuva on such a high level, themselves are also considered the, what allowed him to reach that mitzvah and therefore become zachis themselves. And this explains why the uh, Mesech Yuma ends with the story of the person that had to carry on Yom Kippur. What, first we have to explain, what does it mean... He should worry all year. What does it mean worry? Normally it says he should consider it to be a simen ra. It's not a good sign. Something like that. What is yida kolosh What it means is that he should be involved in tshuva all year. 
a person like that has to involve himself, has to become focused on tshuva because he has to worry why did they reject his uh, what is worrying him is why did they reject his fast a person fasting in Kippur to re- uh, achieve atonement his fast was rejected not the fast from eating but the other inuyim, the other things that had to be done on Yom Kippur and he was given uh, satisfaction on Yom Kippur so he has to think why did they reject my fast did they not accept, accept my tshuva so therefore he recommits himself in a much higher way all year long to achieve the atonement that he missed on Yom Kippur that he feels he missed on Yom Kippur and therefore it's this, this that happened to him on Yom Kippur which drove him and, bec- and this all came from Hashem because since it's something that happened involuntarily so it means that it was sent to him upon him by Hashem for the purpose of driving him to commit himself to a higher level of tshuva so therefore this negative event is what turned him into someone that is doing a kind of tshuva which leads him and therefore it leads him to be assured that he is a ben elim to flourish physically, materially as well during the year as it says uh, you will have children and, gra- and grandchildren that will be it all gives them those things similar to what we say that when somebody does even because he's driven to a greater commitment it brings out a higher level a greater positive result